Welcome to Season 2 of Fracktown Gumshoe, Holy Fits, based on the novels by Deborah Gaskill. Chapter 3 O'Malley's dead? I just saw him this morning at my office. You did. Barnes' interest level didn't seem to change much. Yeah, he and one of his parishioners came into my office with a case. Barnes raised one of his thin gray eyebrows. I'd worked with Barnes when I was on the FPD. A few years before I retired, he'd taken the detective's exam. He was a good guy, but a bit too close to retirement these days to give a shit. Well, whatever you told him must have shaken him up. Looks like a heart attack to me. I don't see any reason to pursue it as a homicide, Barnes said. If the Indians were playing a home game tonight and O'Malley had a fork sticking out of his eye, you'd still call it a heart attack. I know how much you hate paperwork. Come on, Fitz, that's not fair. You think? My secretary's grandmother's wrapped up with something shady, and O'Malley came to see me about it. Shady? What do you mean? That seemed to interest him. Client confidentiality keeps me from giving you the whole story, but involves a guy who goes by the name of Benedict St. Giles. He started some kind of abbey outside of town, called St. Matilda's, but it's not part of the Roman Catholic Church. He may be the same man by the name Roger Clark in Eshtabula who was picked up for fraud and who was known to impersonate a priest in the past, but I've got Mary Margaret looking into that. Were there any confrontations between this St. Giles guy and Father O'Malley? I shrugged. I don't know. I just got the case this morning. The church secretary was standing by the police cruiser, wiping her eyes as an elderly nun comforted her. Barnes waved the two of the women over to us. Fitz, this is Miss Barsetti. Miss Barsetti, this is Niccolo Fitzhugh. He's a private investigator who spoke with Father O'Malley earlier today. Miss Barsetti, an elderly woman, a 50-gallon drum in orthopedic shoes, wiped her nose with her tissue and stuffed it into her pocket before shaking my hand. Oh, Mr. Fitzhugh, we do appreciate everything your mother does for the church, and we do appreciate you taking on Miss Cleary's concerns at no charge. So it's no charge now? I really need to call Ma. I shifted from one foot to another as Barnes smirked. Did anyone come to visit Father O'Malley this afternoon or this morning, I asked. I don't know. I only work afternoons three days a week. She wiped her eyes again and nodded at the nuns beside her. Sister Amelia here usually works in the mornings. Sister Amelia was tiny and spry for someone who looked to be about a hundred years old. Her eyes were black and her nose was pointed, making her resemble the ferrets that lived in one of my sister Katie's kids' bedrooms. Unlike the sisters at St. Matilda's Abbey I'd seen working in the vegetable garden, Sister Amelia wore a navy blue pantsuit that would have done Hillary Clinton proud, along with headgear, sensible shoes, and a rosary. Did anyone come to visit Father O'Malley this morning? I repeated. Oh, oh yes, yes there was. Sister Amelia clenched her hands beneath her chin, suddenly excited to be part of an actual police investigation. Jesus. It, it was a man, medium height. He had on blue jeans. What color was his hair? What did he look like? Barnes started taking notes, but let me do the questioning. He had a baseball cap on, but I could see a little bit of gray hair underneath it. What color were his eyes? Tell me they were green, sister. Please tell me they were green. He had sunglasses on. I couldn't tell. Shit. Was he, uh, a good-looking guy? Kind of handsome? This elderly bride of Christ giggled like a schoolgirl and tapped my arm playfully. Silly boy. 
Yes, he was a very handsome man. He was in the office when Father O'Malley got back from the meeting with you and Miss Cleary. They went to the office and Father O'Malley asked me to bring them some coffee. They talked for a while. Then that man came out. Did he give you a name before he came in? Did he tell you what he wanted? My hearing's not the best, Mr. Fitzhugh. It was something like Beals, maybe Fields? Giles, I suggested. St. Giles? Sister Amelia shook her head. No, I don't think so. I didn't catch a first name at all. He did say it was a church matter that he wanted to talk to Father O'Malley about. I shot a look at Barnes. Sister Amelia may not have caught his name or exactly what he wanted, but Father O'Malley's visitor sure fit St. Giles' description. Can you tell me if you heard any arguing? Was the discussion quiet? Sister Amelia shook her head. I didn't hear anything. But then, like I said, my hearing is bad, and that old door into the office is very thick. Did Father O'Malley come out of the office any time after the visitor left? No, Miss Barsetti came, and I left soon after that to go over to the convent to get my lunch. Did you say anything before you left, even through the door? I did knock and call through the door to tell him that I was leaving and Miss Barasetti was here. Did you get a response? Sister Amelia's ferret eyes got big, and she clutched the rosary around her neck in her wrinkled hands. Oh, no, I didn't. Oh, my. He could have been dying in there, and I didn't do anything. Oh, holy mother of God, forgive me. Miss Barasetti began weeping again as she, too, realized a dead man could have sat for hours behind that office door. I came in and sat at the desk for a couple hours and never heard a word out of him. It wasn't until he was late for his four o'clock vespers that I checked on him and found him dead at his desk. He could have been dead all the time. Barnes stopped writing and patted Miss Barasetti on the shoulder. Did Father O'Malley have any known health problems? A bad heart or anything? Both women shook their heads somberly. I heard the sound of gurney wheels scraping across the parking lot as the coroner and his staff wheeled the body of Father O'Malley out in a black plastic body bag. Hang on a minute, Doc. Barnes held up his hand at Doc Lombardo. The coroner stopped beside us. Did you find anything suspicious on the victim's body? Of course. I can't tell until I get him back to the morgue, but I did see what looked like a fresh injection mark on his right arm in the mediocubial vein. Where? I asked, trying to be polite. Lombardo was just elected to the post last November, so I didn't know a whole lot about him. In my line of work, there were occasional benefits to courtesy. Lombardo pointed to the inside of his elbow. Is it possible he could have done that himself? Barnes asked. Sure, anything's possible. Again, I'd have to look at it more closely at the morgue. We'll do a talk screen and see if there's anything suspicious. Barnes waved Lombardo on and turned back to Sister Amelia and Miss Barsetti. Was Father O'Malley diabetic? Both women shook their heads like they didn't know. No heart problems, you say? Again, not sure. Barnes looked at me and indicated we should walk towards my excursion, out of earshot. Tell me exactly what happened out at the Abbey this afternoon. You know I can't tell you anything, Barnes. Let's just say I went out to speak to Benedict St. Giles, and we agreed to meet again to discuss my client's concerns in the future, and soon. I wasn't going to tell Barnes anything about the 50 grand St. Giles had soaked Eileen for, or my threats to St. Giles that I'd kick his ass if I didn't get to see her. What time did O'Malley come to see you? Before lunch. 
And Miss Barassetti and Sister Amelia say the visitor, who says matches St. Giles's description, met with O'Malley immediately after he came back from talking with you. Yes. You're telling me everything. You know as well as I do what constitutes obstruction fits. I won't have any problem charging with that if I find out you're hiding something from me. I am aware. Barnes sighed. I'm not saying this officially until we get the coroner's report, Fitz, so keep your goddamn mouth shut, but we might have a homicide on our hands after all. He could have had health problems that no one knew about, too. Men our age drop dead all the time. Don't remind me. He turned to speak to a uniform officer who stepped up behind him. The reporter from the Times is here and wants to talk to you, the cops told Barnes. Barnes turned back to me. Like I told you, keep your goddamn mouth shut. I watched as Father O'Malley's body was shoved into the back of the coroner's van. Barnes walked over to talk to the reporter. By dinner, the word would be out about O'Malley's death. I didn't know who would be more upset by the fat little priest's death, Mary Margaret and her mother, or mine. I slid back into the excursion. I'd soon find out. Mary Margaret's eyes were red from crying when I got back to the office. What's the matter? I asked, tossing my sports jacket on the waiting room chairs. The days when I came to work in jeans and old hooded sweatshirt were long over. Since moving from my first office above Grundy's Jewelry downtown, a suspect threw a Maltov cocktail through the window and burned it down. I didn't have much choice but leaving. I'd managed to get some really nice furniture. You could almost say my office looked coordinated and professional. And I did too, damn it. I flopped into the chair and picked through the magazines on the glass-topped coffee table. Is it true? Mary Margaret pushed her thick glasses up her runny nose and looked at me like a deer caught in the headlights. Is what true? Was... Father O'Malley murdered? Jesus Christ, where the hell did you hear that? I dropped Gracie's old copy of Architectural Digest. Sister Amelia called me, and then I called my mother, who heard it from Sister Amelia too. Damn all these chatty broads. Apparently Barnes didn't tell the office staff to shut the hell up. We don't know that. He was found dead in his office this afternoon. There's no obvious trauma, so it could be natural causes. The coroner's going to do an autopsy, and we'll find out from there. He wasn't stabbed. Mother said he was stabbed in the arm. That he bled out. He was not stabbed. I got that right from the coroner. Let's get that straight right now. It could have been a heart attack. The information seemed to soothe her. She didn't need to know about the needle marks right now. Or if it was St. Giles who came to visit him prior to his death. Mary Margaret wiped her nose again and sighed. That's true. He was really old. O'Malley had been maybe six or seven years younger than me. It was my turn to sigh. I picked up my jacket and walked back into my glass office. I shuffled through the stuff that had accumulated on my desk throughout the afternoon. This was the shit that tied me to my damn desk and kept me from the investigating that I loved. Even though Mary Margaret handled a lot of it, this is what I blamed for the routine, like concrete that pulled around my ankles and hardened. I approved a stack of invoices for clients, then another stack of bills that needed paying. A deposit slip duplicate was beneath that. Making money at this PI stuff was a good thing but a pain in the ass sometimes. I shovel the whole stack back to Mary Margaret, who will be responsible for entering it all into the computer and printing up the checks for me to sign. Somebody, please throw me a life jacket because I'm drowning. Mary Margaret, I hollered when I was done. I hated having an employee. Yes, Mr. Fitzhugh? I rolled my eyes. Fitz, damn it, call me Fitz. Come in here, I need to talk to you. Mary Margaret came to the door, picking her acne on her cheek. Yes? 
I pointed to the armless, upholstered chair in front of my desk. Sit down. I talked to St. Giles today. Did you see Grammy? Is she okay? No, I didn't see her. St. Giles claims she prays all day and has herself shut away from everybody except God. Mary Margaret shook her head fiercely. She's not like that. Not at all. I told him I was coming back tomorrow with a family member and we were going to talk to her. Face to face. Oh, that's a good idea, Mr. Fitzhugh. Her eyes got big, like I just came up with the best fucking scheme in Seamus history. Jesus, why couldn't Gracie have hired somebody else? Somebody who was a little drier behind the ears. If Barnes ever hung up his badge, I'd rather have him here with me. What's the relationship like between Grammy and your mother? Mary Margaret knit her fuzzy eyebrows together and pushed her glasses up her nose. Since Grammy got sick, she's really paranoid. She thinks mom is going to take her money. What about you? I'm her only grandchild. We are, we were, very close. Of course you are. I'd hate to think of any more of you at home. Would you be willing to go with me tomorrow? Really, Mr. Fitzhugh? You want me to help you? I held up my hands. Slow down, sister. You're a family member. You deserve to see her, but you're not going to be a part of this investigation. You more than do your part right here in the office. Mary Margaret's shoulders sank. Oh, okay. I want to go out there early tomorrow morning. As soon as I get here, the earlier the better. What did you find in your internet search? She nodded. Suddenly, Nancy drew professional. I found the one case on Roger Clark and Ashtabula, but the family dropped the charges when he paid the money back. There were other Roger Clarks, but they didn't match the birth dates from the Ashtabula case. I'm not sure now that's who we're looking for, she said. I did find a couple news stories on another fraudulent priest in Indianapolis. That guy was named something else. Jeff Kovach. He disappeared and the police are still looking for him. Do they know why he disappeared? He's a suspect in a murder of another priest. This episode is narrated by Casey Martin. Fracktown Gumshoe is based on the novels by Deborah Gaskill.